Let's take our Bibles and turn, please, to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. And obviously one of the great things about the Gospel of Luke is that we get to see the Lord Jesus Christ as he moves about Israel, as he teaches, preaches, and as he ministers to people, as he performs miracles. We're going to see the beginning of that this morning. So please, uh, let us pick up, or start rather, in verse 14. Uh, we left off last Sunday morning with verses 15 and 14 and 15. So we're going to go back to that for just a moment, kind of set the context and find that uh, the first couple of verses I'm going to read is kind of an overview of what the Lord did, all right? So it's Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 14, it says, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee, and there was not a shame of him through all the region round about. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Esaias. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, and he gave it again to the minister, and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. Father in heaven, I pray today for the help of the Holy Spirit. By his help, that you might help me to give the folks at least some of the great impact of this passage of scripture. There are just so many things about it that are marvelous. And here we have the Lord Jesus Christ plainly, plainly presenting himself to this synagogue in Nazareth, Nazareth as the promised Messiah. So guide us as we look in the scriptures this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the parallel passage would be Matthew 4. Um, after Jesus was baptized, he began his ministry. And so Matthew gives a little more detail of Christ's beginning. Luke just kind of overview. So by the time we get to verse 16, uh, the Lord has already been preaching probably for months, all right? Verse 15, it says, he taught in their synagogues. So he went to Galilee, and the Bible historians refer to this as his first Galilean tour. And he went through Galilee preaching um, the word of God. And, and so he went there. He went in their synagogues. And so all throughout the land of Israel, um, people were supposed to come to Jerusalem three times a year to observe certain feasts. Well then, uh, other than that, they had built synagogues. They were able to meet together and worship the Lord in these synagogues during other times of the year. So that's where, that's the setting of our, of a script, our scripture for today, Jesus coming to Nazareth. And we're going to have, we'll talk about that here in just a moment. But the title of this morning's message is The Anointed One, based on Luke 4, 18. Let's see where it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me. Now the word anointed, as it's used here, means to anoint, 
physically with oil, spiritually with the Holy Spirit, always in order to assign a person to a special task, implying a giving of power to accomplish the task. So I got that from Strong's Greek Dictionary to the New Testament. So the word anoint, in like manner, by the way, the word translated anoint here is the word creo, English spelling would be C-R-C-H-R-I-O, creo. Now, in the word, the word Christ in the New Testament is from the Greek word Christos, which means anointed one. So the difference is the word creo is the act of anointing. The word Christos is the one anointed. And so, obviously, both by God. Jesus was both anointed by God and called to be the Messiah. Now, the word Messiah also means anointed one and comes from the Hebrew word Matsaya. So, the, in the New Testament, it only appears a couple times, primarily in the book of John. Uh, where they came to Jesus, or they came, uh, they went to, to Nathaniel and they said, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted um, the Christ. So the Messiah, as you probably know, is the deliverer, the one who was promised in the Old Testament to one day come and deliver Israel. Now this morning I'd like to preach on some of the characteristics of Christ as it's shown here. Jesus, in verse 18 and 19, really nicely kind of capsulizes his ministry. This is his, this basically is saying, this is what God sent me to do. And at the end of the message, we'll tie it all together to show that that's exactly what God wants us to do. All right? And so we'll get to that in just a moment. Now, the passage that the Lord reads, the one that's translated here in the book of Luke, is one from Isaiah 61, verses 1 to 3, a passage that was often read by the Jews and long recognized by them as a prophecy of the coming Messiah and his ministry. So really the stage is set as we come to this particular passage of scripture. Uh, This was a typical Sabbath day, but it turned out to be anything but typical. Now let's just take a look at a couple things here. Number one, The ministry of the Messiah would be a spirit-filled ministry. Look at verse 16. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. All right, so Jesus was raised in the, in in fact, he was known as Jesus of Nazareth because he spent most of his growing up years there. And it says this, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. So his custom, customs here simply means manner, what he was accustomed to. And so the Lord Jesus probably, I don't mean, I don't say probably, assuredly, from the time he was a little child, Joseph and Mary would have brought him to the synagogue on a regular basis. And as Jesus grew up, so unlike so many teenagers, he didn't walk away from it when he got to be a teenager. He continued in that custom of attending the house of God. Now it's very significant. When Jesus was on the earth, he made that his practice. He was there. He was faithful in his attendance. Now not only that, but notice it says that when he, as his custom was, so there were, really there's two things 
that were his custom. Number one, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And number two, he stood up for to read. And I believe that that tells us that, um, that, that he was one of the regular readers in the synagogue. Now this is really, this is important too. Um, I, did a, I did a little bit of research into the history of that day and I found out that there were, uh, every Sabbath day there were seven readers who, who took turns one after another reading various portions of scripture and one of the ones that one of the books that was almost always read was the book of Isaiah that was considered by the Jews the messianic book of the Old Testament and, and no doubt it has more in there about Christ and his kingdom and all those things than any other book of the Bible. You know, we just came through the observance of the Christmas holiday and most of the prophecies that we use are from the book of Isaiah. And so, it's very interesting that he stood up to read. He was one of the regular readers. Now, normally there would be a priest would read and then a rabbi and then some other people. And the, Jesus may very well have been the third reader on this particular Sabbath day. Now that's not what's really important, but the fact that he read, but what was also important was this particular passage in Isaiah, that he read from Isaiah was the passage that was already set in the program, if you will, to be read on that day. I mean, they just didn't read anything. There was a program. And we have a bulletin and we have hymns and, and they had a program, whether it was written or not, that the, the readers knew ahead of time what they were going to read. And so Jesus came to read and they gave him, look at verse 17, there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. Now Isaiah is the New Testament spelling of Isaiah. Alright, and some of you might be reading a Bible, I hope it's King James, but some of you might be reading a Bible where it says Isaiah. Some of the, some of the recent uh, uh, printers have changed those names to make it less confusing. Isaiah, Isaiah. That's okay, nothing wrong with that. But the difference was that from Hebrew to English it's Isaiah, and from Greek to English, it's Isaiah. And so, it's really the same person, no, no doubt about that. One thing is clear, it's talking about Isaiah. Now, two things about these books. They were not like this, right? They were not bound. They were scrolls. And there was another thing about these the Bibles in those days. There were no chapters and verses. They were in paragraphs. And so when it says he found the place where it's written, he had to find the place where it was written. And again, I, I, the commentaries I read, and I, I agree with them, that this was the scripture that was supposed to be read at that time. So the Lord, obviously the Lord orchestrated all this, even that very service, the timing, the readers, the fact that Jesus would be there on that particular Sabbath day, and so he opened the scripture to precisely the passage that God intended for that day. And what a, what a passage it is. And so, he, here's it says, he found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Talking about the Holy Spirit. Now everybody in that synagogue knew that me there was prophetic of Messiah. 
and, and Jesus was not the first one who had read that passage. Probably, I don't know. I don't. I don't know the cycle. I don't know how often it had been read, but I know it was read. This wasn't the first time because the people recognized it. And we'll see that in a minute. And so he begins to read, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, that is the Holy Spirit, because he, the Father, the Lord, hath anointed me. There's where we get that word. He has already anointed me with the Spirit. Now visibly, that took place when Jesus was baptized. That's what that's all about. When Jesus came up out of the water, the, the, John saw the heaven open, so everybody else, and the Spirit of God descended like a dove, landing upon Jesus, and then the voice from heaven, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And so that was when he was, that was the symbol, if you will, of Jesus being anointed with the Holy Spirit. And I, I don't think there's any reason to, to, uh, to say other than he was anointed that day, that moment. All right? And, and according to the book of Matthew, he immediately started preaching. Okay? So he did. And so the Spirit of God is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach. And we're going to get to that in just a minute. But I'd like you to keep your place in Luke and turn please to Acts chapter 10 for just a moment. <clears throat> Acts chapter 10. Love that passage of scripture. Acts chapter 10 where God directed Peter, gave him the privilege of being the first one to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And what better one? Uh, Peter was the apostle to the, to the Jews, and for God to send him, that would have been a tremendous token to the people of the rest of the Jew, Jews that Peter would go to, the, to, to preach to Gentiles. And so, um, Acts chapter number 10 Starting verse 36. Now this is where Peter begins to preach to Cornelius and his household. And he says this, The word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all, that word I say ye know, which was published throughout all Judea and began from Galilee, after the baptism which John preached, how God, the Father here, anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. So that's how Peter introduced his message to these Gentiles. And we read later on in the passage that the Holy Spirit fell upon them that heard the word, which meant that they believed what Peter was saying. And so the Spirit of God came upon them, just like he did upon the Jews in, on the day of Pentecost. And so again, a sign to the Jews with Peter and to the Gentiles that God had not only uh, given salvation to the Jews, but that he had baptized them and filled them with the same Holy Spirit that he gave to the people of Israel. All right, so let's go back to Luke 4. So that's what's going on. Uh, this is the beginning. In fact, of course, it, it had already begun. But this is where Jesus comes back to Nazareth, and he, um, where he'd been, comes back to his hometown, and he says that he's going to give a few details. Let's take a look. The second thing, a specific ministry. God anointed Jesus to do certain things. Number one, to preach the gospel to the poor. See that in verse 18. He hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. And preach the gospel is one word, and it's the Greek word, euangelizo. 
where we get our word evangelist. In fact, it's translated evangelist with regard to um, Philip in the book of Acts. It simply means to declare the good news. That's the verb form. The noun form is simply one who declares the good news. And the word poor here means poor, beggarly, deprived, can refer to physically poor or spiritually poor or a combination of the two. Now, the idea here is that Jesus was sent to preach the gospel to the outcasts, to the so-called dregs of society. And if you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll find out that, yes, Jesus preached to the multitude. He preached to anybody who came to hear him, but he especially focused on those that were outcasts, those that were rejected. All right? Now, what do we do? Who do we look for? All right. I don't have a problem because my shop, and I don't mean, I don't mean this insulting, I love this little community, but my shopping is full of outcasts. They really are. There's no giants in my shopping, including me. That's why I'm here, I'm sure. God lined up the right one to minimize these people. There's not a lot I know. I don't think there's ever going to be a president of the United States that could say he was born in my shopping. I doubt it. Anyway. But it's a, it's a, it's a low-class, so to speak, community. And that's, that's all right. There's nothing wrong with that. Abraham Lincoln said, God must have loved common people because he made so many of them. And by the way, I hope you don't mind this, but when I invite people to church, I say, hey, we're just a bunch of common people. There's no uppity-uppities around here. All right? And we don't want to be. Anyway, Jesus, or the book of Hebrews talks about how the, the poor is exalted, the rich is made low, and that's how you have to get people saved. The rich have to realize they've got to humble themselves, and the poor have to realize Christ will lift them up. So Jesus said, I'm come, I'm anointed to preach the gospel to the poor. And it was the same Jesus in Matthew 5 who said, Blessed are the poor in spirit. It's the same word here. It means beggarly in spirit. In other words, those who realize they have no merit. And if you're here today and you think that you can somehow accomplish anything or somehow impress God by your credentials or your works or your merits, you're gonna, the Lord's going to say to you one day, depart, I never knew you. Okay? Because Jesus said, I didn't come to call the righteous. I came to call sinners. To repentance, and so you, if you, anybody who can't see themselves as a sinner, they're never going to be to have in heaven until they repent. And so he says to preach the gospel to the poor. Look at next. Secondly, it says he um, he, uh, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. All right, to heal the brokenhearted. Now I want you to, I want you, I want you to realize something right, right out, out here. This is all talking about spiritual condition. And even, yes, we're all sinners, right? We're all sinners, we're spiritually dead, we're spiritually blind, we're lost, but, ever, but people's spiritual condition manifests itself in different ways. And the Lord Jesus dealt with people where they were. Now, if you, want to, if you, ever, if you ever read in Corinthians where Paul says, where he wrote, I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. What's he talking about? Paul's talking about the fact that God had given him a gift to be able to minister to people where they were. Alright? If he was ministering to a Jew, he would take them to the law. If he was ministering to Gentiles, he would take them where they were. And Jesus said, I'm going to do the same thing. Now, it's interesting here that the word broken-hearted, by the 
first of all, the word heal means to make whole or to free. Brokenhearted means broken, bruised, destroyed, dashed to pieces, shattered. So Jesus, as the minister, would find people whose lives were shattered. Maybe because of sin, maybe because of somebody else, you know, oppressing them, whatever. All right? So he's talking about people whose lives are shattered. And they're sad and they're depressed and they're... And so Jesus said, I'm sent to heal those people. Now how did he do it? He did it with the gospel. Now you'll see a difference in Jesus' ministry. If you pay attention, you read through the Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you will find Jesus dealt with different people different ways. Was all, but he always came around to the gospel. He had compassion on the brokenhearted. And there were a lot of them. Right? Notice what's next. To preach deliverance to the captives. Deliverance here is the idea of pardon, release, cancellation of a debt. In other places in the New Testament, the same word is translated remission or forgiveness. So, who are the captives? The word captive literally means, means those who are chained. Or in other words, prisoners. What is he talking about? The idea is captives to sin. So there are those who are crushed. That's the brokenhearted. By life. By circumstances. There are those who are captives. The woman at the well. Five husbands. Now she's with a guy that's not her husband. Alright? Mark chapter 5. Probably my favorite New Testament passage. Except for the ones about Jesus. The demoniac, remember the fellow that was possessed with a legion of demons, he lived in the tombs, he was naked, he, they, they tried to chain him up, he busted the chains, he broke the fetters. In fact, Matthew says he was so violent that nobody even went by that way because they didn't want to encounter this man. He was a slave, he was a captive to his sin. Now the Bible doesn't say... What caused him to be demon-possessed? But I will submit to you that it wasn't by accident that people who are demon-possessed bring it upon themselves by getting involved in sin. Now, and there are certain types of sin that are, make a person more open to demonic possession. What I think of right away is drugs. There are certain drugs that open the way for the devil to come in. Right? Second is music. Now, I, I'll never forget. I, I was. I just. It just broke my heart. There was a wonderful, precious young man that worked as a guard in the Tunkhannock prison, and he used to welcome me in. And he and he was saved. And he went to. I forget. I think he went to Pleasant View Baptist in Falls. Doesn't matter. But he went to church. And him and his wife, beautiful wife, couple kids. They visited here one time. And I went to to go down to the jail one day, and one of the guards met me and said, "You're not going to believe what happened." I said, what happened? He said, you remember guard? And I can't, I, can't his, I can't remember his name. He said, yeah, he committed suicide. He hung himself down to the ballpark. And when they went in, into his room to kind of look over his things, you know what they found hidden in the closet? They found a bunch of heavy metal, satanic CDs. He was into death music. Not death, death, 
satanic rock and roll. Again, you know, it's all, it's all, well, anyway. So they found out that was the dark side of his life. And that led him into that. So that's an area. Immorality, sexual, you know, perversion, is an opening for the devil to possess. And so, and by the way, demon possession is real. And so Jesus said, he sent me to preach deliverance to the captives. I love that. What I love about that story, a couple things I love about that story in Mark chapter 5 is when Jesus, when Jesus dealt with this man, um, when people came out to see what was going on, the Bible says he was clothed, sitting at the feet of Jesus in his right mind, and then Jesus went to get on the boat, remember? And this guy begged him, I'd let me come with you. And Jesus said, no, you go back to your home and you tell your friends. You know, tell everybody what the Lord did. And so he did. And, and so remember, they chased him away. They said, they said to Jesus, get out, please. We don't want you to go away. But the Bible says when he came back, they were all waiting because of the testimony of that man. By the way, the woman at the well got saved too. And she went and told all the men. They said, man. And all these men, uh, you know, they came to Jesus and they heard him and they say they really believed in him. So he came to set or to preach deliverance to the captives. Alright? It goes on. And recovering of sight to the blind. Again, he did that physically. One of, one of my the most precious accounts there were there's two of them that I love so much. One is in John 9 where he heals the man. He gives sight to the man who was born blind. And of course, the hymn that we sang, Once I was blind, but now I can see the light of the world is Jesus. That was taken from that passage. So was Amazing Grace. I was blind, but now I see. In fact, that's what the man said. They said, no, this guy's a sinner. He said, you, you, he said are you kidding me? <laughs> I don't know anything about that. I'm not a theologian. <laughs> All I know is I was blind, and now I see. Well, the same passage later on, he said, I came to give sight to the blind and cause the seeing to become blind. Now that's spiritually. And the Pharisees said, are we blind also? <laughs> Jesus said, if you, if you were blind, you'd have no sin. But now you say, we see, therefore your sin remaineth. Because they thought they saw. They thought they were spiritual. They thought they were wise in the word of God. But they were dead and blind and, and ignorant. Just They were just as ignorant as, as anybody else. And so when it talks about recovering of sight to the blind, he's talking about those who are blinded by the devil. And uh, primarily by false religion. And I, and I hesitate to say that the Jewish religion was a false religion because God, God instituted it, but the Pharisees perverted it. And so it was a false religion. Of course, they had mixed in a lot of other things. And so he's talking here about people who are spiritually blind being able to see. And we have a lot of people like that. You know, there are millions of people today in this country, they're going to go someplace, and when the guy when the guy or the gal up front says, stand, stand, when they say kneel, they'll kneel. When they say, read this, they read this, but they have no clue about salvation. They're in darkness. They're blind. And that's what Jesus said. I came to give, to recover the sight of the blind. I love this. You see the difference? All sinners. But lostness takes on so many different forms. And then he says this, to set at liberty them that are bruised. 
Again, to set liberty means to free. Release from bondage. Bruised means oppressed or downtrodden. And of course, there was a lot of that in Israel. In Jewish culture, there were the downtrodden. They were the ones that were looked down upon. They were the ones that were, you know, slaves and the ones that, you know, that, that did not have a very good life and they didn't have rights and they didn't have freedom. They were just under somebody's oppression all the time. Jesus said, I came to set those at liberty. So I hope that that gives you a little insight into the ministry of Christ and even into Paul's statement that I am made all things to all men. Now let's take a look. We would take a look with me at the book of Jude before you see the last thing. Um, in the book of, book of Jude, and you can either look at the first chapter or the last chapter. It doesn't matter. It's the same. Uh, but in the book of Jude, um, find the, down in, in um, uh, Jude verse 22. Well, it hasn't happened too many times. I'd love, I wish it would happen a thousand more times. I, I can think of a couple individuals coming to me with tears in their eyes. One of them was a fellow that was at a funeral that I preached. And I basically just, what I do every time, I just preach the gospel. And so this guy came up to me and he said, my wife and I started reading the Bible. And we, and we, and I said at the end of the service, in the back up a little bit. When I at the end of the funeral, I said, "If there's anybody here that wants to hear more about the Lord, about the Bible, about salvation, please see me after." So this fellow came up to me after. He said, "Hey, I want to. Can you come to our house?" I said, uh, "Yes, sir. I'll be there tomorrow night." So we went there and we sat around the table, and the, the phone rang, and the, the wife went to get the phone, and the husband said, "I'm kind of glad she's not here." Not that there's anything wrong. He just said, "I got. I want to talk to you." He said, "I'm so embarrassed. I, I got. I got to ask you a question." He said, "Um, I was talking to a lady, a neighbor of mine, and she told me only 144,000 are going to be saved. You know what she was, right? To a witness." And he said, "Boy, that leaves me out." I said, "What do you mean?" He said, "Well, 144,000. A kid. There's billions of people in the world. I'll never make that group." He said, "I. He said I've always wanted to be a Christian, but I'm just too much of a sinner." Now, you know what I did? I didn't say, oh, no, you're not that bad of a sinner. That's the worst thing you can ever do. I said, you know what? Do you want to hear what the Bible says? He says, boy, do I ever. And I'm shaken. I mean, I am shaken already with excitement. And I took the Bible, and I said, hey, the Bible says that all have sinned. Come short of the glory of God. He said, oh, you don't have to tell me. I know I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. Um, and so we went through the gospel, and he was saved. His wife came back and said, what happened? He said, I just got saved. She said, I need to get saved. So they got saved. Their daughter says, I need to get saved. Their son says, I need to get saved. And so around the, around the table that night, five people saved. And they were with us for a number of years, and then they moved to California. But, but I mean to tell you, that. so I said all that to say, look at verse 22 of Jude. And of some have compassion. Making a difference. Right? Compassion. There are a lot of people in this, in this community that are downtrodden. Maybe some don't even know it, but we, there needs to be compassion. But notice what it says. Others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. And so Paul, Jude writes here that as we give the gospel, as the gospel is given, you need to make a difference. Have compassion on some and put the fear of God in others. That's what Jesus did. 
Now we're going to get to that again. I, I keep saying favorite, but they really are. One of my other ones is Luke 7. I can't wait to get to Luke 7 where that sinner woman comes to Jesus. He did, she didn't need 72 verses proving that she was a sinner. She knew it already. Now the people around here need 72 verses. Or they need a number of verses because love me would admit they're sinners. But anyway, all right, back to Luke. So that's, that's the ministry that Jesus had. And, and I, I, maybe I'll, I'll have to maybe uh, <coughs> write, a, write a book sometime and uh, take those things that Jesus said and just compare uh, events in the Gospels that show him doing what he said God had called him to do. All right, now, there's one last thing in verse 19 as far as what he was anointed to do, and then we have something in verse 20, 21, and then we're done for today. Lord willing, next week we'll pick it up where the opposition comes. We'll see that. But in verse 19, uh, the Lord says this. He says, um, to preach the acceptable year of of the Lord. You see that verse 19? To preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Now the term acceptable year of the Lord expresses the idea of the year of the Lord's acceptance. The very time or the very year that the, when the day of salvation would begin. When God would begin to save those who trust in Christ. Matthew Henry, who wrote back in the 1600s, described it as the time of reconciliation. So Jesus is saying here, this is, he's anointed me to preach that God is now acceptable. God is receiving sinners like never before. And so he, and he showed that in his ministry. So what Christ was initiating here, folks, this is such an important statement. What Christ was initiating here would become what Paul described in Ephesians 3.2 as the dispensation of the grace of God. And so Jesus was bringing in the transit, transition from law to grace, or from the, the age of the dispensation of the law to the dispensation of the church, or the dispensation of grace, or the dispensation of the Holy Spirit. And that's what he meant in verse 19, to preach that. And he did. Come unto me, he said. All you that labor are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Matthew 11, 28 to 30. That was, the, that was if you want to see the ministry of Jesus in a nutshell, that was it right there. And yes, Jesus gave invitations, and so did the apostles. And, and so invitation to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there's something... You may have noticed, you may not, but there is something that Jesus left out in this passage. When he quoted from Isaiah, he stopped before he said, the year of the vengeance of our God. Why? Well, because that doesn't fit. That's one of those examples of Isaiah, double, double fulfillment. The first part, now, the second part, when, he, when, Jesus, when the tribulation begins and Jesus comes back to take vengeance on his enemies and set up his kingdom, but that's not for now, that's later. Right? We're living in the day where Peter said, God is long-suffering to us, Lord, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That will come to an end one day. Right? Now, 
But let's take a look at one last thing, a, a supreme statement. What did Jesus say? Oh, my. Verse 20. He, and he closed the book, and he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the minister, gave it back to the, to the song leader. No, gave it back to the, the person that was presiding over the service. And he sat down. So he stood up to read. He said what he had to say. He sat down, and all and the eyes of the, of all of them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. We would say today, they were glued to him. He had their undivided attention. It's it's the idea of of anticipation. They're sitting on the edge of their seats. Why? What is he going to say now? What's he going to say? What's he going to say? He made it one of the most simple statements anywhere in the Bible. Verse 21, he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. And you know what he's saying? The one reading this passage is that promised one. Or you can look at it from this side. You are hearing with your own ears the one this passage prophesied about. Clearly, he's saying to them, this was written about me. I'm the one. And I've come. I'm anointed for this ministry to declare these things, to preach the gospel. By the way, when Jesus was on the earth, his priority was not healing. His priority was not doing miracles. His priority was preaching, teaching the word of God. You know, and he, he starts it off and says, he hath anointed me to preach the gospel. He didn't, he's not, I'm not a healer. And neither is anybody else, all right? There's no such thing as, these, are, these faith healers are fakes, all right? They're fakes. You won't find any place in the Bible where God called anybody to be a healer, all right? It's always secondary. God calls people to preach. Did Paul, did Paul heal people? Sure. Did Peter heal people? Yes. But were they healers? No. 2 Timothy chapter 4, to me, is a very enlightening passage of scripture. Paul's gathering around and he says, I have left Trophimus in Miletum because he's sick. Well, Paul, why didn't you heal him? Because I couldn't. I can't. I didn't have enough faith. No, sorry. No, he didn't. That's not it. So Jesus was not primarily a healer. He was primarily a preacher, a teacher of the word of God. And I, w- I would never, I would, I'd, never go to, I'd never go to a healer. I'd never recommend anybody going to a healer. But I recommend we pray. We pray for people to be healed. Even in the book of James, James didn't say go to a healer. He said call for the elder church and they'll anoint you with oil, calling on the Lord, and the prayer of faith shall save the sick. All right? And so Jesus, we need to understand that. So anybody that claims, I'm a, I'm a faith healer, I do Jesus' work. No, you don't. All right? No, you don't. Jesus was a preacher, and he, a healing was secondary. All right? I believe that healing, all those gifts ended when the scripture was complete. In fact, the Bible said, Paul said, it's, tongues will end, knowledge will vanish away, prophecy shall cease. When did that happen? When this book was finished. 1900 years, there was none of this stuff. The Pentecostals tried to bring it back about 100 years ago, and it's a farce, all right? It's a farce. And uh, we need to preach the gospel. We'd preach the gospel. Now, I got one other passage, to, and we're done. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, all right? 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul, by the Holy Spirit, wrote a very similar verse 
than what Jesus, as, as, as like what Jesus quoted in Luke there from Isaiah. But let's think about, <clears throat> for a minute, as we close the service, Next week, Lord willing, we're going to see what happened. You know, Jesus began to say, but he didn't finish because of the crowd, they got after him. All right, we'll find that out. Uh, what did Jesus say he was going to do? Preach the gospel to the poor, heal the brokenhearted, preach deliverance to the captives, set at liberty those that are bruised, so on. Recovery sight to the blind. Question, is not this also the mission of this church? Are we not to preach the gospel to the poor, deliverance to the captives, liberty to those who are bruised, recovery of sight to the blind? Is that not our mission? I really believe there, just as much as we always talk about Matthew 28, 18 to 20, rightly so, the Great Commission, but here it's also there, Luke. What Jesus was here to do, we're supposed to do. All right? What have you done? Over this past year, did you even... Did you, did, any, how, did you even try to influence one soul? You know, the pastor, preacher can't do it all, right? I'm going to do my part. I, I'm asking God to help me do more. But listen, we're all supposed to be in the business of bringing people to Jesus Christ. Influencing souls for him. One more scripture. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Verse 1 says, We then, that's Paul and his company, Silas, Timothy, as workers together with him, beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted. And in the day of salvation have I succored thee or helped thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And yes, there's one time when the word day is used for a period of time. We are, Paul is saying we are in the dispensation of grace. But then there's also an application of this. You're here today. And you're not guaranteed, and I'm not guaranteed another day. And so if you're here and you've never trusted Christ as Savior, today's the day. You need to do that. And some of us have been talking, Brother Herb and I were talking, we went to a funeral together on Friday. Um, anyway, the guy was a Christian. I thought that was, that was, I, I don't, that was probably the, the sweetest funeral I've ever been at. Right? Wasn't that great? It was just praising God that for Brother Boyd being in heaven and, and, and all the things he did in his life. A man who was blind for over the last 20 years of his life and yet was such a testimony for Christ. But you know what, the, the, what, the, what we're, we were talking about on the way home was this, the twinkling of an eye. When Christ comes, it's in the twinkling of an eye, and there's no time, no chance to get right, no chance to tell somebody about the Lord, no chance to be saved if you're not. No, it's no second chances, folks. So yes, now is the day of salvation. May the Lord bless. May the Lord use his word. And I'm praying, and I want you to pray for me. I'm asking God to stir my heart over this community and over the lost. Even to be able to prioritize things so that I have more time to give the gospel. But folks, you need to get take, take this seriously. You need to be a witness. You need to be a testimony for Christ. 
you're not, then you're not doing what God has called us to do. Can I say bluntly, if we're not sharing the light of the gospel of Christ, we are failing and we are sinning against God and we are quenching the Holy Spirit because that's what God sent us to do. So keep that in mind. I, don't, I mean that as an encouragement. I just mean, folks, let's get excited. You know, let's get the gospel out. Let's, get, let's look. Let's look. Jesus said, lift up your eyes and look on the fields. The fields are there. We need to reap. We need to sow. We need to reap. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time that we could spend in the Word today. And I pray for a working of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, in my heart. Oh God, we're so e- it's so easy to get lukewarm in this, in this society and to use COVID as an excuse. Oh, I don't dare to go talk to somebody. I might get sick. Well, we need to throw that away, Father, I believe, and, and do what you would have us to do. And I pray, Lord, if there's anybody here this morning, I pray that right now in the quietness of their heart, they would recognize the fact that they're a sinner and even right now might cry out to God, God, have mercy upon me, a sinner, and save me by the blood of Jesus. And so help us, O God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's take a hymn books. We're going to sing a hymn, and then we're going to we'll go into our, our observance of the Lord's table. Um, Number 320. Now this is for the believer primarily. In fact, it's all—it's for the believer. If you're here and you're not saved, you can, you have no no hope ever to be like Jesus. All right. But if you are saved, and this ought to be the prayer of your heart, let's stand, please, as we sing. And if you're here today, you've never trusted Christ. Maybe even as we just spoke a few minutes ago, even in prayer. Maybe you cried out to God to save you. If that's so, I'd love to know that. Would you tell me? And then we could go over and kind of confirm that, make sure what you did. But as a believer today, is this the prayer of your heart? It's mine. It's mine. I want to be like Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. Oh, I want to be like Jesus as I walk along this pilgrim way. Oh, I want to live like Jesus, showing forth his beauty every day. This my prayer and deepest longing to be pure within, within. Oh, I want to be like Jesus, cleansed from dross and free from self and sin. Oh, I want to talk like Jesus. Gracious are the words from him we hear. Words of life and hope for sinners. Tender healing words of love and cheer. Oh, the power and the value of a 
broken word Oh, I want to talk like Jesus Any time or place my voice is heard Oh, I want to serve like Jesus Willingly he came from heaven above On the earth he lived for others Spent his life in kindly deeds of love I would follow where he leads me and his bidding always do oh i want to serve like jesus till my traveling days on earth are through all right let's pray and you may be seated we'll go into the lord's table father thanks for the Lord Jesus Christ, I thank you for this great message that he gave uh, here in the Gospel of Luke. I'm thankful that he carried out, he definitely practiced what he preached. And he even hinted, Father, that they were going to accuse him, physician, heal thyself. Well, he certainly did that. Lord, help us to follow his example. And again, if there's anybody here today that's not sure of their salvation, God, may they have already cried out to thee in their hearts to, be, to have mercy and to forgive their sins and save them. Oh, how we would love to see some folks like that, the demoniac of Gadara who would just surrender life to thee, or the woman at the well who, gave, who left her life of immorality and was holy to, unto the Lord. So, Lord, do the work that needs to be done in each of our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you very much, and please be seated. And obviously, the ultimate thing that Jesus did... When he came to earth was he allowed his body to be broken, his blood to be shed there on the cross, even before he went to the cross, uh, to die there for our sins. And so in the book of Matthew, I'm just reading a few verses, and it says, And as they were eating, this was during the Passover, Jesus took bread and blessed it and break it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine, until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung an hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. And so again, the Lord Jesus changes the focus from the Passover in Egypt and what they had observed for centuries to the Passover, Jesus, who was our Passover, who was sacrificed for us. And so the, the, the bread represents the broke his body. The juice represents his shed blood. And so as we do every time, we're going to spend some time in silent prayer. And as Paul exhorted the Corinthians that they were to examine themselves. And so let them eat of that bread and drink of that cup. And so let's go to the Lord in a time of quiet prayer and meditation.
And as we are still bowed in our hearts uh, for prayer, I'm going to ask Brother Don if you would please lead us and ask God's blessing on the observance of his supper. Jesus said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. With regard to the cup, he said, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. And praise the Lord, he promised that when he comes back for his kingdom, we will eat and drink with him there. Book of Revelation speaks about the marriage supper of the Lamb. I believe according to scripture, the marriage will take place in heaven. The marriage supper will take place on earth as the beginning of his kingdom. I'm going to ask Brother Robert to come and lead in the closing hymn. Um, Number 187, books right here. We 
troubles are mutual hurt and spare on each other goes the sympathizing tear when we asunder part it gives us inward pain but we shall still be joined in the mud and hope to meet again. All right, amen. All right, you are dismissed.